but I like Volkswagens a lot, and so I particularly like it when they come out with new models, which they have done. But I don't like their new commercial. How many of you have seen that commercial where there's a little thing sitting in the seat that talks to the driver? His name is Fast or something. It's just, I guess maybe if I was younger, I don't know what it is, but I just cannot stand that commercial. Uh, you, have you seen it? Three people. All right, this is going nowhere. Another commercial, which I, this is gospel truth. The first time I saw it, I thought it was a joke. I've since realized it's not a joke. I'm sure by talking about this, I'm going to offend somebody. But uh, the other commercial that has really intrigued me recently is the RLS commercial. You know what RLS is, right? Uh-huh. Well, some of you may have it, and you don't even know it. In fact, the RLS people say about 10% of the population has this. It's a mild disorder. I'm glad to put the word mild on there. What does RLS stand for? It stands for Restless Leg Syndrome. There's a website. As I said, about 10% of the people supposedly have it. Let me read to you what they say in that website. They say, Restless Leg Syndrome is an overwhelming desire to move your legs especially during inactivity or while sitting. Duh. My wife saw that and she said, I have that. And I said, honey, every kid in school has that. How many of you have been sitting in some boring class, the teacher goes on and on, and you just want to get up and run? Haven't we all had that? Well, we have. And uh, now they have, a, of course, behind all of this, you know, as a pharmaceutical company, they want to sell you a pill that's going to take care of RLS. I don't know what it does. It makes me nervous. I think I'll go numb from the waist down or something. But um, my dad used to deal with RLS in church. We would sit together as a family in church. I'd get nervous and antsy. You know what my dad would do? If we were out of line in church, he never said a word. He'd just reach over and he'd grab your leg right here. My dad's a big, strong man. And he'd start squeezing. And pretty soon all my restless leg syndrome was over. I just sat very still. You know, he could just put a horse bite on you right there, and you're just like, oh. Anyhow, restless leg syndrome. Maybe you have nervous legs. If you need to get up and run today, we don't care. Just run right out the church. That's a... I want to talk to you today about doing away with anxiety and worry. I'm actually worried right now. We're having sound problems, and so if this thing cuts out, that's my worry. But I was talking to Jennifer just the other day. Jennifer and Carrie are youth pastors. They just had a baby boy named Noah. And we were talking about the birth process and just, you know, all that. And Jennifer said to me, you know, I was a little nervous when I came full term. And the reason was because of your niece. Now, some of you who are regular folks here remember that back in the fall, Joyce and I flew back to the Ozarks because my niece, who was full term pregnant, gave birth to a stillborn baby. No, no, uh, no idea why this happened, why the baby died in her womb, but he did. And of course, you knew about that, Jennifer knew about it, and she said, man, that, that makes me worry a little bit. And it's true. In fact, that's one of the struggles in visiting the hospital. Pastors see all these people with all these needs, and you come away thinking, that, that might happen to me. I'm a little worried, actually. Uh, between 1994 and 2004, First Baptist Church, in those ten years, had five pastors. Do the math. That's about two years per pastor. I'm on two and a half years now. So I think it's time to start looking around. Now you're worried. 
Or maybe you're going to say hallelujah. There are lots of things in life to be anxious about. And this morning, I'd like to talk to you a bit about anxiety. And it would be helpful if you find this piece of paper in your bulletin. It's a, it's a note sheet that you can look at. And there's a little exercise for you to do. In fact, there are those boxes. And I'd like you to honestly think about what you worry about or what makes you anxious. I am quite sure today God has something to say to you. I think your hour spent at First Baptist this morning will be extremely valuable in your life as you worship the Lord and as you take this and take it home and actually read these scriptures, think about what we're talking about. I think you can dramatically reduce your anxiety in life because of this time we spend together. Not because of what I say, but because of God. Now, just check off. It's good to identify what causes us to stay up at night. And uh, I want you to go through that. If there's nothing listed that makes you anxious, then list something down there on the blank line. But there are things that make us anxious in life. And I want to talk to you this morning from Mark chapter 4 about how to do away with anxiety and worry. Jesus, in this chapter, as it opens, he's by a lake and he's teaching. And he tells a long story, a parable. Now, a parable is a practical story, a very easy or common story that has a spiritual meaning. And Jesus tells a story, and actually in this chapter, he tells several parables that have meaning for us. Sometimes he told them to everybody and then went away to his disciples and explained them to the disciples. This morning, I'd like to look at a parable right in the middle of the chapter, and it's called the parable of the growing seed. It's actually a parable that's unique to Mark. It's found in Mark 4, 26 through 29. It's a very short parable. And I encourage you this morning to uh, perhaps grab the Bible and look or follow along in the notes to Mark chapter 4. How can we be away, do away with anxiety and worry? Well, the first step as we read the parable is this. <clears throat> there are things you must do. Do those things. There are things in life you must do. Care about those things. In telling the story, Jesus starts this parable by this. He says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the soil or the ground. Picture with me, uh, when he talks about scattering, when we plant seed, sometimes you plant a flower and you put the flower in the ground or you put the seed in the ground. That's not what he's talking about. When he says scattering seed, he's talking about sowing seeds by the broadcast method. If you ever planted grass, you probably didn't put each seed of grass in the ground, did you? It'd be a slow process. You reach into the bag, and you pull out the seeds, and you begin to broadcast it. You scatter it like this. And in an earlier story, Jesus talked about the fact some of the seed falls in good soil, goes down, it grows up, great plant. Some falls on rocks, nothing happens, it never grows at all. Some falls in between, and it does so-so, but then dies. That was an earlier story. Jesus says a sower goes out to sow, and he sows the seed. Now, in the parable, it doesn't matter if the sower is Jesus, the apostles, Simon Peter, Paul, Priscilla, somebody in the Bible, or you. The point is that the seed is sown, and the seed is the Word of God. Not the Bible you hold, but the message that God loves you and that Christ came to save you. And he does that by his death on the cross. You recall last week we were talking about this, and I asked some people to share how Jesus came into their life. And Jill stood up, and Paul stood up, and they said, this is how I met Christ. This is what I consider when I became a Christian. As they told their story of their encounter with Jesus, they were proclaiming the good news. 
They were sowing seed, and we all heard it. We're like the ground. And so the church's mission, as we talked about last week, a part of our responsibility as a church is to be out there broadcasting, sowing the seed. Now, as you and I think about anxiety and worry, there are things we ought to be doing as a church, and we should worry about those things. We should care about those things. There are things we're not supposed to be doing as a church. We don't need to worry about those things. Now, I confess to you that I'm a worrier. And there are things that keep me up at night, like if the offerings aren't very good, or the attendance is down, or maybe I'm worried about one of my children. Those kind of things can keep us up at night. In fact, Terry, I had a dream. Uh, this is not Martin Luther King kind of thing. This is um, I was either Friday night or Saturday. I woke up at 2.50 a.m., and... Uh, I thought I didn't sleep anymore that day. Actually, I did fall asleep again, but I was fretting all evening, or all morning rather, about the church finances. Not that they're bad, and we just, you know, we're changing some things. And my dream was I was sitting in the parlor at our board meeting, and I was looking down the table, and Terry leaned in and said, I'm quitting. You're not quitting, are you? <laughs> Putting him on the spot. And that was, that was my big anxiety, that our treasurer, Terry, said, I'm done. And I said, I hope not. So I confess to being a worrier. But the reality is, while there are things in life that we need to do regarding finance, if I'm going to worry about the church, what do I need to worry about? Is the gospel going out? Is the message being told? Are we becoming bridges across which people can walk to find Christ? That's what I need to worry about, and you too. Because that's what Jesus said matters. That's what's important. Are people coming to know Christ? That's the number one thing. And so this morning, as we think about this topic... How can we be away with anxiety and worry? The first truth that rises out of this parable is that uh, there are things we can do. Do those things. Now, let me apply this a little more broadly. A number of you are students. Let's say that you have a book that has to be read by Friday, and there are 200 pages in that book. And you know Friday morning you've got to have that book read. And you can say, I'm going to really worry about that. I don't know how that's going to happen. You don't need to worry about that. You divide 5 into 200, that comes up with what? 40, yes. So you read 40 pages today, and you say, by 5 o'clock today, I'm going to have those 40 pages read. You spend between 4 and 5, or whatever time it takes, and by 5 o'clock, you're done. You say, I'm not worried about this book, because it's going to get done. And so you do today what you need to do today. Now, we had an interesting thing happen this week, didn't we? I was watching the Olympics, I think it was Sunday night, when the thing came across the, the bottom bar there, the news. Dick Cheney shot somebody. I said, this has got to be a joke. The vice president shot somebody? I mean, you can't make this stuff up. And uh, if you've watched Jay Leno or Letterman, I mean, there have been some hilarious stories about this. Thank God the lawyer's all right. And he gave a very gracious speech. Now, a part of the controversy about this, I think the lawyer's right, accidents happen. They happen to presidents and vice presidents and all the rest of us. We need to remember, accidents will always happen. But part of the intrigue of this is that Dick Cheney's a very secretive man. And one wonders, if uh, it hadn't come out, whether he would have told anyone or not. Now, the truth is, when you become a public servant, when we elect somebody to office, you no longer have a private life. We all know that. That's part of the deal. You become a public person, and what you do matters enormously, especially if you're the vice president 
of the most powerful country on earth. So, in a sense, when you become a person like Dick Cheney, you give up your right to a secret life. That's just not an option anymore. Now, forget about Dick Cheney. What about when you become a Christian? When you become a follower of Jesus? Does what you do matter? My heart was broken today, or not today, this week, because I talked to a person about a church member. You don't know this person, but uh, somebody related to a a local church, and they were talking about how this person behaved in church on Sunday morning, you know, looked good, smiled, everybody loved them, and then how this person treated their spouse. Big difference. And my heart broke because I realized that the teachings of the church were not being applied on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, etc., And what I'm saying to you today is that we can offset anxiety by doing what we're supposed to do. And so this morning, when you walk out of here, if you say, Steve, I am a follower of Jesus, you've given up your right to just do whatever you want. What are you supposed to do? What Jesus wants. That's the deal. If you don't want to be a Christian, you don't have to. But if you confess Christ in these waters of baptism... You're walking out, and the Bible says Jesus has bought you with a price. You are no longer your own. You belong to Christ. You you understand what I'm saying? So this is a big deal. And uh, anxiety will go way down in your life if you just do what Jesus tells you to do in your lifestyle. That means if you go to a restaurant this afternoon, you ought to do what Jesus would do. Don't be rude. Don't be mean. Don't get upset. You know what I'm going to say. It's not even in the notes. This could be a long sermon. We're flying back from, we got on the plane in Zurich a couple weeks ago. And, uh, you know, the first thing they do when they get up to altitude, they serve you some drinks. They come by, you want soda, you know, water, orange juice, whatever. And uh, coffee. And so I'm sitting there in my chair, and, and I know they're coming up the aisle with the drinks. And all of a sudden, something hits me on the head. And I look down, and there's a milk carton upside down in my lap. I mean, milk is everywhere. And the uh, poor stewardess, you can hear her go, and she disappears. She ran down the aisle. And I don't realize it right away that this milk carton is actually emptying itself on my lap. And I'm sitting in it. When my uh, posterior got wet, I realized I better turn the milk carton over. It was a mess. Now, um, this is at the start of a long flight, you know. I'm in Zurich. (laughs) I'm in Europe at this point trying to get to L.A. It was a long day. And, uh, you know, I said, well, what are you going to do? She later thanked me. She said, I'm so thankful you didn't yell at me. She was just petrified. This poor girl went white. I mean, she was as white as the milk. Later, when she said, came by for coffee, I said, I'd like coffee, but no milk. <laughs> you know, there's a certain way we're supposed to behave if we're Christians. It's very clear. And my first point, I'm laboring here because I, I mean, I fail myself, but the point is we need to try and act like Jesus. And if we're going to offload some anxiety in our life, we're going to do that by doing what we can do today. Let me check my notes here, and um, I don't want to skip anything this morning. So you filled in that first part. Um, do what you do. There are things you can do today. Do those things. Oh, I know what I wanted to do. Um, We've had a lot of people doing around here. How many of you helped out with Valentine's Day? That was a great bridge-building event. If you helped out, would you just stand up? We want to appreciate those workers in the church. Now, stay standing. 
Some of you, some of you are bridges. If you, if you were at Valentine's Day or if you brought somebody to Valentine's Day, would you stand up with me? Let's celebrate. It was a great, great evening. Thank you. All right, you can be seated. I know some of you had trouble hearing. That just means we have more to do and a challenge to fix next year. Dr. Peter Marshall was former chaplain to the United States Senate. He wrote a prayer about worry. And he said this, Help us do our very best so that we shall tomorrow not borrow from the troubles of today. Or, I read that backwards. That we shall not borrow the troubles of tomorrow. Here's the line. Save us from the sin of worry, lest ulcers be the badge of our lack of faith. Wow. Save us from the sin of worry, lest ulcers be the badge of our lack of faith. How am I going to do that? Well, first of all, I'm going to identify what I need to do today. I'm going to do it. I'm not going to worry about anything else. That's the first step. Now, the next truth from this parable. Number two, there are things that you cannot do or control. Therefore, do not be anxious or worry. Now, there are three scriptures here. They're in your outline. They're on the board. The first is from the parable. It's the next line that Jesus says. Night and day, whether he sleeps, that is the sower, night and day, whether the sower sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. In James chapter 5, we read, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop? patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. And 1 Peter 5, casting all, cast all your cares upon him, Jesus, because Jesus cares for you. Now, I'm thinking about several people in my life that I would like to be a bridge to. Some of them I've talked to about Christ. Some of them, their lives are so messed up, I know that if they'd come to Jesus, it'd be a better life. But they haven't come to Jesus. There is a role that I need to play, and there are things I can't do. I can't convert anybody, and you can't either. There are things that you cannot do or control. Now, as Jesus was giving this farming parable, he expresses that ultimately that seed goes in the ground. The farmer cannot make it grow. And there comes a time when the farmer says, well, I've done my job. The farmer can go swim or sleep or watch TV. It doesn't matter. It's just going to grow up or not. The farmer can't control it. Now, this is going to be shocking for some folks to hear, but I want you to do this. Don't speak to your spouse on this one, okay? I don't want to start a fight. But I'd like for you to turn to somebody and say, you know, use that Christian term, sister, brother, there are things you cannot do. Just turn to somebody and say, brother, there are things you cannot do. All right. When we've been looking for a worship leader, for example, at First Baptist Church, I don't worry about it because I know I can't do it. You know, they're not going to ask me. Not my worry. <laughs> Say amen. Um, I went through Scripture and I made a list. We're going to run through a list very quickly. The Bible has a lot to say about worry and fretting and anxiety. And so I put up some Scriptures here. And these are things that, according to the Bible, if you believe the Bible, these are things you should not worry about. Let's look at the list. Uh, you should not worry about life, food, clothes, add the word body on there. Now, let me tell you why. Life, food, clothes, body. Uh, we're going to read this scripture from Matthew. I'll read this one. I'll ask somebody to read the next one. Therefore, Jesus is speaking. This is his best sermon. Jesus is speaking. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, 
What you will eat or drink about your body, what you will wear, is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes. So those are some things not to worry about. What's next? Don't worry about tomorrow. Let's look at that scripture. Who would read this? Thank you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Today <laughs> has enough trouble on its own. Amen. Thank you. The next one. Don't worry about singleness. Ah, let me read this one. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man or woman is concerned about the Lord's affairs so he can please the Lord. And Paul goes on to talk about if you're married, you're going to have a lot more uh, troubles and concerns in life. Next one. Yeah, people are just, don't say amen, buddy. Uh, God says, do not worry about jail, trouble, or speech. Now, the context here is not people who go to jail because they did something wrong. Uh, the context was people who go to jail like the apostles because they're preaching the gospel. They're going to jail because they're doing God's work. It happens. It still happens. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at that time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Wow. Don't worry about jail. I know you feel better now. Don't worry about the wicked. Who would read this verse? All right, the next one. Don't worry about the rich. Glenn, would you read that one? And the next one. Don't worry about evildoers. Who will read the scripture? And one more thing. Don't worry about anything. Who would read this? Wow. Later. Thank you. That's a great one, and that's a great verse for warriors to remember, to memorize. Philippians 4 6, it's here in your notes. Just don't worry about anything, uh, is what he says. There was an evangelist way back when. His name was David Ray, and he was a warrior. He worried about his health, he worried about the services, he worried about politics, he worried about his family, he, he worried about everything. And one day, somebody noticed, he just seemed, it was like he had been born again again. He was relaxed and pleasant to be with, and somebody said, Evangelist Ray, what happened to you? And he said, well, I found somebody else to do my worrying for me. I've hired them to worry for me. Wow, what, how much does that cost? It costs $1,000 a day. Oh, my goodness. How on earth are you going to pay $1,000 a day? I don't know. That's his worry. There are some things you can't do. Face it, folks. Face it. And especially face it as we grow older. Our worlds begin to shrink. And we don't need to be anxious about that. It's the way God has made us. We just need to remember there are things we cannot do. Now, away with anxiety. Do the things you can do. Don't worry about the things you can't do. What's next? There's another truth. There are things only God can do. Therefore, do not be anxious or worry. In the story, Jesus says, all by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel, uh, the full kernel, then the head. And in Matthew 5, God causes the sun to rise on the good, the evil and the good, he sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. In this word of Jesus, he says there's a sower goes out to sow, he sows his seed. 
and the seed begins to grow. And in this verse, he says, all by itself, and in, originally that word there, all by itself, is one word. It's at the front of the sentence for emphasis, and the word is automatically. It's, that's the literal word. Automatically, he says, the uh, soil produces grain. Now, don't get picky about parables. People who try to figure out every little detail of a parable, I think, are on the wrong track. There's a spiritual truth. Get that truth, or maybe there's a couple. Get those, and you're done with the parable. And Jesus is illustrating the fact that when you and I share the good news, it's the Holy Spirit's role that will convict people of sin and create a new life. I can't give anybody a new life, nor can you. There are things only God can do. Now, it's my pledge, I will work as hard as I can and pray the best I can as a pastor for this church to grow and flourish. And our staff is working that way, our board is working that way. We all want to see this church prosper. We want to see a a new life in our community from First Baptist Church. But can I guarantee that's going to happen? Can we make it happen? No. There are things for us to do, we need to do them. And there are things for God to do, and only God can do them. And it's high time that we realize we can't do everything. And there's some things God must do. God changes hearts. God brings miracles into people's lives where they turn around and go in new directions. In fact, let me give you some scriptures about this. The psalmist says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they that labor, labor in vain. Paul said, Each one of us has a work to do which the Lord gave him to do. Paul says of himself, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. And that's the idea here. Away with anxiety by recognizing there are some things only God can do. Now, another scripture that's, that's pregnant with meaning here is in Philippians, in Ephesians, at the end of the chapter, Paul is talking about spiritual warfare. And he says you've got to do a variety of things. And then he says... Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. And that's the point I'm underlining. We do what we can, and then we stand. Now, this list of worries that we put up here, those things aren't unimportant. They do matter. And there's a time and a place to be involved in those kinds of things. But we're not to worry about them. That's the point. It's not that they don't matter. Now, I think these scriptures about what God does help us to be humble. We recognize we're in this work with God, and unless God prospers and blesses, we're not going to go anywhere. Many of us worry about our children, we worry about our health, we worry about uh, all kinds of things, our, our bodies. You know, the best you can do is to eat right, stop smoking, exercise, and quit worrying. That's life. Um, I read this statistic recently. Research indicates that children laugh about 300 times a day. How many times do you think adults laugh? 15 to 100. Did you realize that uh, you're more likely to be killed in life by a donkey than by air travel? I just said that because I'd like to get the laugh quotient up a little bit. I want to get you towards that 300 mark. (laughs) Oh, my. Let's wrap it up. Um, there are things that God must do. Let God do those things. Leave them to the Lord. Now, finally, uh, the final point of this, te- of this uh, emphasis today. There will be a harvest season. 
Therefore, do not be anxious or worry. Wait for the harvest. The last part of this parable, Jesus says, but when the grain is ripe at once, he goes in in with his sickle because the harvest has come. The harvest has come. You plant, you wait, you harvest. You do what you can. You trust God, then you wait for the results. Now, friend, if you've raised children, probably you worried about those children. I have. Uh, I won't name which of my three sons this is about, but I can remember uh, a little over ten years ago, one of our sons was on what I thought was a course to destruction. And he moved out of the house way too early for me. And uh, although he would call, we'd talk by phone occasionally, regularly. I was extremely worried about his life choices, about what he was doing off in, a, in another place. And there was nothing I could do about it. It was just eating me up. How could this son make this decision? He was our son that seemed to be the brightest, the best uh, baseball player. I mean, he, we just, you know, I had all this stuff I thought he was going to do in life. And here he is off in a far country. I was so torn up during that year, I didn't know what to do. And a friend of mine, a counselor who I had met named Mitch, told a story. I'll spare you the story. But here's what I learned to do to offload worry about my son. We'd go home at night, and whether it was 8 o'clock or midnight, when I'd go home, at that time we had a dog, big, big uh, Labrador. And this was the stupidest dog you've ever seen. But he was our friend Jake. And I'd take him for a walk every night, and he's always waiting for his walk. So no matter what time of night, we'd get the leash, and I'd walk down the few blocks to where there's a little park and let him go. He'd run up on the hillside, and that was our walk at night, take 15, 20 minutes. And every night when I got to that park, here's what I did according to what Mitch told me to do. I said, Lord, thank you for taking care, and I'd name the name of my son today. That's all I did. And whenever I became overwhelmed by anxiety or fear about this child, I'd say, Lord, thank you for taking care of, and I'd name his name. And that's how I tried to trust God to do what only God could do. Now, this morning, I just have two prayers about this message. One is, I recognize as we come together, some of you come into worship on a Sunday morning with burdens that nobody may know about, with a very heavy heart or a deep challenge in your life, And I don't want anybody to think this morning, the pastor says I shouldn't worry because this really isn't any big deal. There are lots of big deals here today, and I want to honor that. You may have come in the room with some real heavy issues, and we want to honor that. I recall preaching in Granada Hills one Sunday, and after the service, I noticed a friend, I'll call her Peggy, that's not her name, but she had come in very late, sat at the back, Afterwards, I found her. I said, Peggy, how's it going? She said, this is terrible. Worst night of my life. I said, what's the matter? And she, this is not her name, but she said, Sue, she had a daughter who was about 15 or 16 years old. She said, Sue, I haven't seen her in three or four days. She's never done this before. She's gone. Her daughter had disappeared. And so we prayed together. You can imagine the mother's anxiety and pain. And uh, she came to worship that day with an enormously heavy burden. And I want to honor your burden today. But the second thing I want to do is to say God can make a difference in your life. The power of God can help you, whatever your situation is. And I want you to know that and turn to God for help. It was amazing. Uh, Last year, I was at Hart Park with my grandsons. They're six and seven. 
Eli and Caleb, we went for a long walk up this trail in the mountain and then climbed trees and so forth, came back down. I noticed uh, uh, two women and two children. And when we came back down, this one woman, young woman, came over to me and she said, Are you Pastor Steve? And I said, Yeah. And she said her name. I'm calling her Sue. She said, I'm Sue. You remember me? And that's my mom, Peggy. Now I, and I said, Yeah. And I immediately recognized them. She came over and I said, How are things? Now, this single parent had raised two teenage sons and a teenage girl. She had an amazingly difficult time. But ten years later, there's Sue. She's got two kids. She's happily married. She's thriving. She's going to church. It's amazing. And I, I was so gratified to kind of hear the rest of the story there. And I tell that to tell you today, there is a harvest season. There's going to come a time when God's going to come back. And Jesus is going to right the wrongs of the world. There comes a judgment day and we trust God with that day when things will be right. And we look forward to that harvest season. And in the meantime, we do what we can and we leave what we must to God. I've written a little prayer and I want to conclude with this prayer. It's going to be on the screen behind me. If you'd like to pray this prayer, I'm going to pray it out loud. I've prayed it several times this week. If you'd like to pray this prayer, I invite you to stand where you are, if you don't want to pray it and it's not an issue for you, then don't stand. But stand and we'll read it together right now. If you'd like to pray with me, please stand.